Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming to you today with an interesting conversation with Tim Kawakami, a longtime columnist at the San Jose Mercury News as part of the Bay Area News Group, who recently uh, became the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco site of The Athletic. Um, so wanted to get Tim on the podcast for a while, finally got a chance to get him out of his busy schedule to spend a little time with me, which I really appreciate. I know he's got a lot going on right now. Um, I wanted to talk to Tim. He's as plugged in as anybody about the Warriors. So, you know, really wanted to try to talk to him about, you know, the, the off season they've had and how, you know, despite all of the insanity that's gone on around the NBA, the Warriors still are head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, and as they, as they showed earlier this week by announcing in a simple press release the signings of Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, David West, and Zaza Pachulia all at once, uh, they still are the team that rules the NBA and will for at least the next year and perhaps farther, um, you know, barring injury, uh, despite all the insanity that's gone on. So uh, talk to Tim about uh, you know, everything that's gone on with the team over the last few months, uh, the, the re-signing of, of Andre Godala, the potential luxury tax issues down the road. Um, you know, what, what is the situation with Steve Kerr? Um, a Jerry West, a, a, a guy he's covered since he was the, covering the Lakers at the LA Times back in the 90s. Um, the Jerry West leaving, going to the Clippers. Kind of, we touch on all that stuff. Uh, and then we spent some time talking about uh, the athletic and his decision to go there and where the business is going and why uh, he thinks that site is going to be successful, as I, I think it will be, as I have you know, a couple of friends and him and Marcus Thompson that are there and are going to do a great job. So um, I think it's a fun listen. I hope you guys enjoy it. And with that, without any further ado, let me get to my conversation with Tim Kawakami. All right, Tim, thanks for coming on. I know it's a, uh, it's a busy time for you, but um, obviously I want to talk to you about your new venture. But first, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Warriors, who uh, I was rather amused yesterday when they just put out a press release uh, announcing the uh, the re-signing of Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Dazip Julia, and David West, all in, in one release with no quotes. Uh, I think kind of summing up the way their offseason has gone, right? Yeah, I think could you feel that team and win the championship just that press release? You might be able to. <laughs> probably, probably could. Like without any other players, or just sign a bunch of uh, uh, guys at the minimum, and just with those guys that just sent out the release. Oh, by the way, we signed these guys. Right. Oh, by the, the way, Warriors are right now, right? Yeah, everybody's frantically, you know. And I give the other teams credit for doing anything they can creatively uh, to try to put together a team that can compete against the Warriors. That's all great. It's frantic. We don't know. There's surprises, uh, some amount of desperation. And, again, I don't mind that. Desperation on that thing. We're trying to win a championship. Right. Or just say, oh, by the way, uh, we're the champions, lost one game in the playoffs, and we just resigned everybody we wanted to. Uh, it's the kind of way the world is. But, you know, the Warriors, are, they're proactive on this, right? They, they talked to Durant about doing this last summer. Now, not specifically the dollars, but I think this was all part of that conversation. It was all part of Iguodala's, you know, again, Iguodala got more money from them than they originally planned, I'm sure, but it was all part of, okay, Durant's going to give us some money for Andre to get some more money. Same deal, same thing with Livingston. This is kind of like the Warriors play, you know, Joe Leckett gets ripped for the light years comment, and he, he should be. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a barbed thing out there, but... 
they were about a year ahead, two years ahead on this, and it's just what we're watching. Other teams scrambling to get to that place, to get their players to buy in in the same way, to get the right players to buy in in the same way. Right. Uh, to have the organizational mindset that lines it all up. And then, yeah, yesterday was just kind of the, the subtle bam, 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 bam. Okay, we're done now. Right. Uh, and I yeah, don't think that they didn't know how that would come up, you know, how that would feel while you have the whole Kyrie Irving thing going on, while you have all these other things happening. And even teams that have it together, like Houston, or, you know, you might point a few out of Minnesota. But they're still looking up, and they're still scrambling to catch the Warriors. And the Warriors just say, oh, by the way, here we go. Okay, let's start the season now. We're pretty good. Uh, it, it is a subtle or maybe not so subtle commentary of where they are and where everyone else is. Yeah, and that that's really the thing that stood out to me is you look over the last month at all of the insanity that's happened from Paul George getting traded Chris Paul to Jimmy Butler to uh, Gordon Hayward changing teams to, um, you know, Kyle Lowry staying and Paul Millsap leaving to, uh, you know, everything that's happening, like you mentioned, with Kyrie Irving right now. All, all this stuff that has happened, all these seismic moves that have happened around the league. And, you know, not only have the Warriors upgraded on every spot on their roster this summer uh, where they've had somebody leave, they've replaced them with a better player. They also, um, they also find themselves in a situation where they're still, you know, far ahead of the pack and you know there really isn't any move on the horizon that i can see that's going to bring anybody within uh within shouting distance of them barring injury for at least this season and maybe maybe even beyond that yeah i, I agree and you know you never know with injuries obviously uh and, and nobody in cleveland wants to hear this but 2016 the couple of couple of injuries knocked them out knocked, knocked them you know, slowed them up for Cleveland to play great to win those last three games. So you never know that. But barring that, and it's specifically to Steph Curry, I just don't see, and I don't think they see, where there's a team that can, can go you know, game for game. He's going to beat them in seven games, put it that way. going to win four out of seven against this Warriors team. Now that's, again, you, there might be chemistry issues, although if there were, they would have dealt with them last season. When that, so that was the right season. Yeah, I mean, you'd think they're uh, going to be even better this year, really. I, yeah, I, I can't imagine that they would, they would be anything but better just with the flow, with the rhythm, the understanding of the, what we saw cooking, you know, in the playoffs as it really began to go when Curry and Durant really started to understand each other's kind of gravity and the flow of it in, in tight games and when Durant can take over and when Curry can take over and when they can both take over to get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, as we know, you know, they, most of those games are not coached by Steve Curry in the playoffs. And right. I don't know if that will, you know, again, they can't count on, you know, with Steve, you don't know, but that was a huge thing for them to deal with. If, if, again, if they this, this this freight train was going to get derailed, it was going to be early. It was going to be right at the start of it. And last year they went 16 and won the playoffs <laughs> with Steve Kerr missing, what, 11 games in the playoffs? Yep. 11 of those wins. So uh, they, they're they only going to get better for now. We'll see. Uh, with their greatest players are in their primes right now. Uh, we all know that they've got a salary situation coming up in a, in a year or two or three. But also, if Joe Lake is making these kind of profits and willing to pay out the big luxury tax bill, they can go this for a few years. I don't, I don't think it's against all laws for them to say, you know what, we can go, we can pay $100 million in luxury tax in two years. They're not going to want to do it every year. But right. I think that's an option on the table as long as they keep winning and then they move into the new arena in 1920. Uh, that profit number, which is already very high, is just going to go through the sky to the sky, and they might be playing in a financial game that no one else can play with. And you know, maybe only the Lakers and the Knicks. And the Lakers and the Knicks don't have this roster, so yep. 
yeah, this is lining up. Again, they're going to have to make some decisions. The Clay Thompson contract up in two years, Draymond Green up in three. They'll be in massive salary tax with, with Curry and Durant making over 40 by that point. But I think they've calculated that all and said well, the profits that they're making, they're winning. They're, you know, they're paying money to make money, which is one of the Lakers' things. Uh, and this thing is no foreseeable end as long as those guys are in their primes. And, and that's what this summer was about. And you know what? That's what last summer was about, too. That's yep. what I'm talking about, being one year ahead of it. it was, last year was saying, if they get this right and they get Durant and everybody's on board, those five guys, this thing's going to, they're going to run. They're going to make a little run here and, and they're going to squeeze it for as long as they can. And this season was about, this summer was about paying what it takes to keep those guys together. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, and, and if you, you know, you go back and look at, uh, you know, that, that meeting last summer, right? And when you had those four guys sit down with Durant, you know, it was there was little doubt that, that they were gonna find a way to bring Andre Godala back this summer when he hit free agency. And the one the one thing that I was a little surprised about was that the Warriors caved on Iguodala's negotiation with that third year. Because, I, I mean, think you and I both know that, you know, going into those negotiations initially, you know, the Warriors were offering very little guarantee money in that third year. And, you know, a lot of that's because, like you mentioned, they've got this play contract in two years. They've got Draymond after that. And, um, you know, I think they, they see Andre as a guy in, hitting his mid-30s. And, you know, it was probably in a couple of years that contract's not going to look very good. But, you know, Iguodala pushed them pretty hard and, and got that guaranteed third year. And were you, were you personally surprised that, that they kind of bent on that when it didn't really seem like Andre had another way to go? Or did you, did you think that he played that pretty well and that he looked around and knew his status in the locker room and that if he, you know, you know, rattled some sabers a little bit, he could kind of bend them to get what he wanted? Yeah, I'm surprised just because, you know, Lake is a poker player, and I think we could all see that it was a bluff. Somewhat of a bluff. You know, listen, you have to accept that, he, that Andre might go, but did Andre at all really want to take more money to play for Sacramento? A team that he spurned for the Warriors – Right. Four years earlier, that was offering more money at this right. point in his career. And, you know, play four games a year against Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Raymond Green and lose four times and not make the playoffs. But I would have thought Lakers would have said, listen, we'll give you a little bit more. We're already offering you a little bit more than we want to, but we're not going to completely accept that you might bolt and go to the Kings. And if we don't fear that, then we don't have to worry about trying to find and trade you elsewhere because that would have to be with our approval and we're not going to do that. But I do think the Durant decision is not only take, you know, we know the whole technical thing. He took a 20% instead of the full max, which allowed them to go over the cap for, for both Livingston and Iguodala, but also to get, start giving back even more money yeah. puts the imperative on them. I mean, basically Durant saying, I'm doing this for you to resign Iguodala and Livingston. And could Joe Lake have one look at himself in the mirror if they lose a game seven to San Antonio because it would all it wasn't there to guard Kawhi Leonard or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and two, could he look at Durant in the mirror and say, We took this money off the table, you gave it to us to sign Andre Goodall and we didn't do it. So I think those two things pushed this further than I thought they were going to go. And listen, you know, they know there's there's cap things they can do in the third year. They can stretch it with all I would imagine they could trade him at that point. Uh they've done it before. They've they tore apart their roster of all extra pieces to get Durant without a blink last summer. I mean, they didn't yep. think about it. Is Zeal yep. Barnes gone? Not even like, just see it. Goodbye. Okay, gone. So they could do it again in two years. But I also think that for Joe Lakin and Peter Goober, and especially in Bob Myers, uh, for what he would all have meant to that locker room, for he would all accepting the backup role 
three years ago. You know, that's a big part of it, that that really kind of Christmas Steve Kerr's hold on this locker room, that he walked in, that a told an Olympian and all-star, Andre Iguodala, you're now going to be a backup. He accepted it by Harrison Barnes, a lesser player to Iguodala. Uh, and in many ways, that started this run. That started the feeling that this is not about numbers and stats, and this is about what's best for the team. And Iguodala, who had the full respect of everybody in that locker room, accepted it. In a lot of ways, they feel like they owed it to him. So, and he pressed it. He pushed it. He played it. He's going to be my agent at some point, Tim. He's going to get me that extra year, that extra third, guaranteed third year. Uh, but he also understood he could. He also understood that Seth Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant wanted him back, and this wasn't. And Joe Lacob couldn't make it about dollars. Not with the profit he's making. Not with the championships they're rolling. Not with the way Iguodala has you know, obviously played immensely in big games. And again, what happens in Game Five? The clincher, championship clincher. He plays. 30 minutes, played great. 32 minutes, yep. yeah, and played great, and he's guarding LeBron James. So, again, if you're Joe Lacob and you know you might face Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Jimmy Butler and LeBron James in the playoffs, maybe in a row, you might get Gordon Hayward in there too, and you're going to tell Kevin Durant you gave back $9 million, and I didn't resign Andre Godala. That I think that became the real gut-level equation, and for next year, it's going to be worth it. The following year, probably going to be worth a third year. Then they start thinking about what he got. And I think even Andre understands that. He's going to get the guaranteed money. If they have to move him in the third year, I think in, in, the, in the real politic of this law, Andre's right. smarter than anybody. He gets that that third year might not be with the Warriors, but he's got his money. And right. I think all those factors came in. And listen, the Warriors are going to make a $100 million profit next year. It's just it's, write that down. Uh, and within that context, with them all knowing – about the money that's coming in, the playoff money that's coming in. Like Curry was happy with $11 million a year for four years when he was really worth 40 a year. Yeah. I think all those things add up to this. Andre Iguodala was going to get that third year somehow. And I'm surprised, but he's smart enough and the Warriors are good enough and Joe Lake is rich enough that that's how it worked out. Again, I'm surprised by it, but when you fill out all those boxes, I guess it makes some sense there. And no one's worried can get out of it in the third year. Well, and, and, and that's kind of the thing, too, right? It's that you, you look at this team, and they've had such a great run. And you, you kind of knew when they came together last year it was going to stick around for a while. And, you know, you, the thing that kind of hangs over this that you mentioned is that, that new arena, the Chase Center, opening up uh, two years from now. And, you know, it's hard for me to believe that no matter how expensive this team gets, uh, you know, people think that, you know, I, I know a lot of people think that Clay Thompson might get moved next summer before he's a free agent or, um, or Draymond Green might get moved at some point. But uh, it's hard for me to see a guy like Joe Lacob who, you know, as much as he likes making money, I, I think he likes winning even more than that. And you look at how much money they're going to make in that new arena and the fact that they're going into a new arena – it's hard for me to see them not finding a way to keep that that group together, you know, going into that new arena and, and avoid breaking it up because of, you know, luxury tax payments over the next couple of years when, you know, they're going to make, I mean, like you said, they're already making plenty of money now. And when they get into that new arena, you know, the, the monetary level is going to just, as you said before, just go through the ceiling. Yeah. And, you know, they're already announced the PSL, which, again, it's a 30-year loan, but it's going to be an incredible cash infusion. Once those things go for sale, they're all, you, we know they're all going to get sold out, and they're just going to put that money in their pocket for 30 years. Um, yeah, so I don't think money necessarily, unless they cross some ridiculous threshold where we're talking, you know, $300 million, three, $400 million payroll, 
and I don't see that. I just I can do the math, and I just don't see that. But it's going to be basketball. You know, they're going to be so profitable that these decisions aren't going to be made about luxury tax. It's going to be is Draymond Green, you know, once he becomes free agent, worth 35 million a year when he's 32, right? This is right. These are the equations they're going to make. So they don't even have to make those decisions now. Is Clay Thompson going to be worth 40 million dollars a year when he's 31? You know, and then you're talking about 32, 33, 34, 35, 36 years uh, season for him. So I just think they, they, all these things are on the table for them. They've set it up that way. Uh, they are going to have the money to pay these guys, and they are also going to have the ability to not pay them and think about trying to get players another way. Marks and I have teased this for more than a year. We think they're going to go after Paul George somehow. I think Joe Lake is going to try to find a way to get Paul George. I don't know how that would happen. But I didn't know how it was going to happen when they were three years ago when they said they were going to go after Durant. Well, they didn't say it, but they might have whispered it. To right, but, right. Um, you know, Joe Lake likes collecting stars. If he can do it in a way and get himself younger, get the team younger. Uh, I think Joe would like to get himself younger also, but uh, we'll see how that's <laughs> against salary cap rules there. Uh, they're going to do it. They're going to try everything. And, again, they're not going to disrupt the chemistry of what they got now. I'm not saying they're going to do that. But this is not a team that thinks, okay, in five years, we'll just give everybody $40 million and we'll be fine for another five years. No, they, they don't think like that. And, again, we know how cutthroat they got to get Kevin Durant. Obviously a smart idea. Obviously hard to argue. But a lot of their Warriors fans go, oh, you can't give up Harrison. You can't give up Festus. You can't give up Bogey. You can't give up that bench. Oh, Barbosa, you can't give up. You can't give up. They, they did it in a blink. It yep. wasn't a doubt. So they can do it again. And, you know, the big four, now we call it the big five, the Hampton five, you know, they're going to have special credence in there. Obviously, he's what all did. But that doesn't mean at age 35 he's going to have that. doesn't mean Draymond Green at age 32 is going to have that. You know, again, it's reassessed every year. It's rethought, conversation again. The point I think you and I are both making is they're going to have the ability to do it, to pay whatever. But it also doesn't – and that's one of the things I'm telling Warriors fans that are, are worried about Clay coming up in two years. So do you realize you don't have to make a decision on this for two years? Hey, right. those two could be two really good years. And then you make the decision. And they could still always pay him if they wanted to. So, and he's not going to be, you know, at the prime, prime of his career in two years probably. All these things are factored into what they're doing. And all these things also come in because you add the bonus of you might just be able to triple their profit level once that arena opens. You might be able to trip, triple that profit level a year before the arena opens because that's when they're going to start taking the CSL money. Yep. So this this is un uncharted territory financially. And you know, maybe the Knicks have been there. You know that team, Tim, but they haven't been winning. You know, the right. Knicks can pay anything to anybody, but they haven't been winning. They've been paying it to a lot of people that shouldn't have been paying it to. Right. The Warriors right. are going to be able to pay unique, anything. This, this is yeah. a unique combination of team that can pay the money and has the players worth paying. Exactly. And, you know, and we're giving them the savviness that if they need to change it, they can change it, and they probably will do it in some very logical way in a year or two or three or four or whenever it, whenever it happens. Yeah, no, I would certainly think so. Uh, another guy that you've known for a really long time is Jerry West, going back to your days sure. in L.A. with the Lakers. Um, and Jerry obviously went to the Clippers uh, earlier this off season. Um, was that uh, was that the move you kind of expected all along? Was for him to kind of you know ease out the door when this contract ended? And are you surprised that um, he wound up going to the Clippers, or was that kind of just a situation where if if you know probably in a perfect world he would have rather gone back to the Lakers, but with you know, the moves that Jeannie Buss made earlier this year, that was really the, the one path that was open to him to, to kind of stay involved in things. 
Yeah, he said. I mean, he wanted to go back to Lakers. He said he wanted to go back to Lakers. But once Jimmy hired Magic, that's what people don't who kind of know the Lakers but don't really know that I am for the Lakers. Jerry was not going to work for Irvin. That was not happening, and Irvin wasn't going to hire him to work for Irvin. It just that's just the dynamic of those personalities. Jerry would have wanted to be Irvin. That's what you know. Right. He, he wasn't going to work for Irvin. He wanted to be Irvin, or at least right. hire his own Irvin. And not have Irvin hire him. Uh, Jerry's, you know, he's a volatile personality. He admits it. Uh, he's instinctive. He gets restless. He doesn't, you know, championships, he doesn't celebrate. He just moves on to the next thing. He, he tortures himself about things, about what might go wrong. And yeah, he is the most tortured the person I've ever met, despite having he's probably the greatest basketball career in the history of the sport. I mean, from top Absolute, to bottom. The greatest, like, longest, it? yes. Yeah. yeah it, it, but that's what drives him, you know, and I've had this theory for a long time. You go from West to Harbaugh to whoever, you know, the, the craziness kind of brings out the greatness. Sometimes. You have to be <laughs> a special, unique brain, and it comes out weird sometimes socially, but in that world, it, it just connects different things, and, and you're different. But yeah, with Jerry, I think the sign with the Warriors was when Myers got a, a new deal last year and a promotion, and Jerry didn't. Uh, they mm. had kind of twinned those two in the previous, like two years before. And so when they when they separated, and I was checking around, and I wrote a little bit about this, but I didn't write too much because it could change dramatically, and you don't want right. to predict things change dramatically, as you know, Tim. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of just reported the fact that his contract coming up, uh, Joe Lacob and West, were, you know, didn't have a lot of talks about it, but planned to talk about it. But as it progressed, uh, I think it just became clear that, that Jerry decided it was, it was enough time with the Warriors. And really, I mean, the real reality is that Bob Myers just certainly doesn't need somebody to help guide this ship. And in many ways, Jerry was brought on to help him with that. And secondarily, the main voice for Bob Myers, and I've reported this, and, and I know this to be true, these days, maybe it was Jerry in the early days of, of that tenure, these days the main personnel advice he leans on is Steve Kerr. And Steve doesn't always talk about that. Uh, he wants, I'm a coach, I'm just a coach. But Steve's been an executive, we know that. And Steve has opinions, and Steve knows how they play and who fits. Bob knows. Steve was a GM. Too. Yeah, Steve was a GM, and Bob knows the whole administrative side. Bob can do the salary cap. Steve doesn't want any deal with that. Doesn't want to deal with the agents. But in terms of what fits their system and what personalities fit their system, uh, Bob leans on Steve Kerr much more, you know, this last year or two than he has let, leaned on Jerry West. So I think Jerry felt that too. Was fine with it, but. And we both know that Jerry's a very strong personality, and Joe Lacob's a very strong personality. And if you want to presume that they might have had some clashes, which was good, healthy conversation, but maybe was a little tiresome for both of them towards the end, I think we can make that presumption. I don't think that's wrong. Right. Uh, I think you just add all those things. And that Jerry isn't a guy who's like, oh, that parade, it's all about the parade. I just want to be there. Oh, I want to be there for the ring. <laughs> right. Jerry hates that stuff. He hates that. That isn't what this is about for Jerry. For Jerry, it's about diving into the guts of a team and changing a culture and kind of, you know, turning the uh, risk-averse, you know, the way teams get into something. Those just go out and be bold and instinctive, and that's what he did with the Warriors. And more than anything, what Jerry did for the Warriors was a sign that Joe Lacob's tenure was going to be different. Jerry had a lot of input on a lot of those early moves, specifically drafting Clay Thompson, specifically not trading Clay Thompson for, for Kevin Love, various other things. But he didn't hire Mark Jackson. He didn't hire Steve Kerr. You know, there, there's a lot of things that he wasn't involved with. It's just he was the symbol and the, you know, the you know representative of this team was going to think bold things. 
and be willing to get in a room with a bunch of strong personalities. Travis Schlank is a GM, now the GM of the Hawks, was a big part of it. As big a part of it as Jerry was, just not as famous. Uh, Kirk Lake, the owner's son, is in there. These guys bat around ideas, they challenge each other, and they come out. And Bob Myers is the guy who comes out and makes the decision. And I think the, the big picture for Warriors fans is that Jerry leaving is a sign and a result of Bob Myers being in total control of that operation. And they really just didn't need uh, another consultant like Jerry West. There is no consultant like Jerry West. There never will be. He's immeasurable. He can't be duplicated. So if he didn't want to do it again and he wasn't as necessary, Bob Myers and Steve Kerr can certainly run this front office together. And it's, it's mostly Bob Myers, obviously. Right. And uh, one one final thing on the Warriors. You, you know Steve you know, as well as anybody out here. And, you know, you wrote a really, a really good story with him, uh, you know, interviewing him a few days before he came back saying he was definitely going to coach again this year. But then he, a couple of days later, he was back on the sidelines during the finals. Yes. Um, do you, do you think that Steve would still be doing this if he didn't have this once in a lifetime opportunity uh, with a team this talented, given, you know, all of the, you know, immense pain that I think you and I both, have seen up close that he's been going through. And do you, do you think that, you know, if they can't find a, you know, long-term solution for, you know, this, this unfortunate situation with his back, um, that he, this is something he can still fight through for a long time, or is this the potential to be a, a much shorter run than a lot of people outside of, you know, the Bay area who, are, who don't see him every day might imagine given how good this team is. Yeah. I think if we see it flare up again, like it did during the playoffs, then you would that would be the conversation, and I think Steve would not cut off that conversation. I, I think what happened last season was he kind of figured out how to deal with the pain he was going through, which stemmed back to the back surgery, you know, two July ago, two August ago, whenever it was right, right. there. Uh, and he just kind of that's it. He gutted through it through that playoff. I feel I don't know how he got through the 2016 playoffs. I mean, he, that's 24 playoff games, all those fights. I know it beat the hell out of me. And I right. wasn't suffering through anything close that he was suffering through. Uh, he he got through all that. And then he just said, okay, I've figured, you know, not figured it out, but I've found a level that I can get through. And let's face it, coaching is what he loves to do. This is the greatest job of his life. He is unabashed about that. He has found his calling. This team happens to be a great team to coach, as, as the point you make. If he was coaching the Knicks right now, it might be a totally right. different thing. Right, But right. that's why he took this job. Right. Uh, Steph Curry and all all the great pieces of Bob Myers, these things are just all in sync. Uh, but that, that flare-up, that dramatic turn that he felt in the first round of the playoffs this year, really, I think, if that had sustained, if he could not – have gotten through that, then we're talking a, a totally different thing right now. But I do think, and we know how tough Steve is, by the way. You know, if you're around Kerr, you know, people are outside, oh, he's laughing, he's happy, he's just a nice guy. No, he's a tough guy. That guy is a tough, he's both the tough guy. He's both one of the yeah. toughest people you've ever met and I think the most competitive person I've ever met. Yes, yeah. yeah. he is unbelievable. And so he guided himself through it to get back in. And I might even not – I knew how important it was for him to get back coaching in the finals at some point and not go the whole, whole postseason without getting back. But I think maybe we even underestimated just how much he willed himself to get back for that game too. Uh, but then I think he felt better after that. 
You know, like I was asking, the lights and the music and everything in the buggy, because we all know how loud we can get. Yeah. This is before you know, that, that stuff doesn't bother me. He told me afterwards, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. That wasn't about that. It was just about the daily pain. It's the headaches. It's the nausea. Uh, and that somehow something, they still don't know, as far as I know, last I talked to him, they don't know what caused that flare-up. And I'm sure there is a great fear at some point that it comes back again because they don't know. They can't predict what caused it. Was it fatigue? Was it, they don't know. Uh, was it another leak? I don't think they even know that. So there's just, okay, he got through it, and they're hoping that never happens again, and, and maybe it never does. And maybe him going through it that one time helped them figure out something about his situation long term. I don't think they know for sure, but barring some flare-up, he prison coach. He's going to coach somewhere. He's going to coach the Warriors for as long as he possibly can because this is what he loves to do. He just, you know, he was a GM. He was happy being a GM. It it really didn't meet his competitive juices. He was great on TV. We know he was great on TV. I mean, just a fantastic broadcaster. But at the end of the game, he goes home and goes back to the hotel room, and who cares? This, the wins and the losses, the going through it every day, the dealing with players, talking to players, this is what he knows he was born to do, and he's great at it. I can't imagine anything barring some sustained re-flare of this, like 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 he happened in the Portland series, which he, you know again he could not coach, so right. he could not have. Uh, and you know it's a little bit of a you talk about. I mean, it was first happening during games one and two of that series, and he got through it, but he, he was clearly suffering. Um, hey, if that doesn't happen, or it happens only briefly. I think he's going to continue coaching now. You know, it's it's put, you know battering his body. We know that. It, you know, he can't do the things. He can't play golf. Well, not recently. I think the yoga, which he loves, has been cut down. He's not body surfing clearly. He's you know it, he's hard, you know we talk books all the time. I don't think Steve's reading books these days. He just it's too much. The headache's too much. So that can just tell you the state he's in to gut through coaching a team through 82 regular season games and then however many playoff games. But he's in, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be him. He, I just he just believes this is his mission right now in his life, and he's going to coach the Warriors. He's supposed to coach the Warriors. He's great coaching the Warriors. They respond to him. Uh, even with the 11-0 with Mike Brown and some fans are, oh, yeah, I like his rotation better. No, 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 no. This is built by Steve Kerr, being run on Steve Kerr's system. This is about Steve Kerr. I just think he's going to get through it. Now, while he was out, did I – have some questions in my mind if you'd ever I, I sure I, I did because I asked but his answer was as forceful as Steve, anything that Steve has said ever said to me on or off the record and then when he said you know hell yeah he's going to be back that he's 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 going to coach this throughout this is what he believes in again barring some really really sustained and awful flare-up and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that anybody can take that off the table but barring that and even maybe through one of those more, Steve Kerr is going to coach the Warriors. Yeah, and I certainly, I certainly hope that he does, given that he's one of the, you know, the nicer dudes you'll come across too. I mean, it's certainly the combination of the the situation and the uh, the opportunity to to be part of that team, and you know, as him being a good guy who's, you know, an interesting person to talk to. You know, I certainly hope that uh, that you're right and that he he's doing this for a long time. Now, before we go, I want to talk for a couple minutes about your new venture. Uh, you, when did you come to the, the Mercury News? Uh, August 2000? 2000. August yeah, 2000. August so, 2000. So, you know, for 17 years, you were, you know, one of the the, lead, the leading voices here in the, the Bay Area as as a columnist at the Mercury News. Before that, you were in L.A. at the L.A. Times. And uh, before that, back in Philly, I mean, you, you had a, a really long, you know, distinguished career in newspapers. And, you know, starting, you know, basically now, you're, you're 
What's, what's your title? Editor-in-Chief of, yeah. of the Athletic? Editor-in-Chief, yeah, Editor-in-Chief. That's a little big old fancy title. So, so, what, uh, so what led you to, to officially, uh, you know, jump the ship and, and go, go the online route after, you know, you know being in a, you know, a, obviously a pretty prominent position at a, at a prominent newspaper here in the Bay Area? Yeah, I think we're all moving into digital, right? I mean, any newspaper person who is halfway paying attention to this world has been moving to the digital side in their mind anyway and the digital product and producing things that are available online uh, and also serving the, the, the print product because we know that's what pays real money in the newspaper world. But I think as I moved into more digital realms and certainly readers followed or, in fact, gained more readers, followers, clicks, whatever you want to call it, as I did podcast and the blog for sure and other social media aspects, um, you feel that pull, and, you, and it's inevitable when you sit through the meetings in the newspaper where they're trying to bridge this deficit of the money that we're losing uh, in paid subscribers to trying to get it back in digital, and the graphs are not good. <laughs> in the most optimistic graphs, right. they are not good. Right. Uh, and, you know, again, there are certain papers that are, are making a difference here, and you work for one of them, clearly, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. There are papers that are doing, you know, ahead of the curve on this. Well, the Bay Area News Group and is not trying to get ahead. And my stuff and Marcus Thompson, who is joining me, by the way, at The Athletic, and a few others, kind of our, our stuff was leading the way by accident, just because we're doing different stuff, because we were finding a groove, and the Warriors coverage certainly is a groove for this. Digital, uh, very educated uh, in the sport, want to know more and deeper and analytical things, want to get closer to the players, we can bring them there, get them on podcast. And just because I'm sitting through these meetings and I'm seeing the numbers and I'm seeing where the Warriors are, I'm seeing what my 49ers stuff said, whatever, and, and that we could not generate enough money off of that in the newspaper. We just couldn't do it. And I could just plot it out in my in my head, another year, another year, another year, it's still not going to be there. Uh, so that primed me for the approach from the athletic. I was not seeking it out, but I certainly was on my mind that there has to be something else here and I cannot be out on an island here. Because if I'm an island with the Mercury News and this thing crashes, the island crashes too. So then I, I don't want to be mean about it, but that's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be happening in a shorter time frame than any of us would ever want. Right. So the athletic approaches me. They had opened in Chicago and had just opened in Toronto when the first time we started talking. They're two really sharp Silicon Valley tech guys from Strava, uh, which is the running and cycling extreme, you know, the real, real high-end cyclists and and runners. Uh, it's a beautiful app. I knew they had the technology. We're talked through it, and it was general conversation. They wanted to open San Francisco because they're based in San Francisco, and obviously tech, you know, the, their investors are, are largely from around here. Yep. Uh, we had a conversation, opened my mind to this possibility, and you know that there are other sites, you know, in Pittsburgh and now Greg Bedard in Boston, and you see that, wait a minute, you know, I know my nephews are on Spotify. They don't blink about paying you know, just clicking, and there it is. Netflix, Amazon Prime, we're all, you know, the, the, the fear that, you know, let's say 40-year-olds and older have about, oh, no, that someone won't click because it's a credit card and no one will read me, that's gone. And the only way I believe the, the, the journalism economic model works these days is if we get the direct money. The, the advertising on digital is just not happening. It's not happening swift enough, and I think it's kind of tripped up anyway towards video. We, we can talk long about that, but the video stuff, which 
all these sites are pivoting to. Right, that's, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a foolish game. That's, that's a game that you know that, that we can't get into. That we don't want to get into. That's not what we do anyway. Uh, I think people there is a. I know that there is a great appetite for good sports journalism, analytical, thoughtful, reported, accurate, responsible, asking the right questions journalism. And it's not going to be funded by newspapers very much longer. And in many ways, it's already been gone. It's already disappeared from most newspapers, at least the funding for it, and they're just hanging on. Well, how about go to a place where that's the whole thing? And and I've compared this to the cable system. We all know about this whole a la carte cable system. The cable system that offered A&E and the Food Network and ESPN and all the networks, Right. That's falling apart too. You know, at a slower rate than newspapers, but it's what people want well, their own. I mean, it's, I've made this, I've made this, this comparison. I think it's newspapers 20 years ago. I mean, I think ESPN yep. is right yep. where the big papers were 20 years ago now and trying, yep. you know, trying working backwards, trying to figure out what they're going to do and not having any idea what's going on. Exactly. You know, and, and it's a product that people want. So, you know, the, in my, the way I, this is not the way the founders have phrased it to me, but the way I figured out is let's peel off the sports journalism locally, local, 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 although now the athletic is coming strong on the national side, by the way, because of all these openings, because the other national sites have kind of walked away from a lot of great writers and a lot of great stuff. But locally, I buy it because is there the appetite for hard coverage of the 49ers? Accurate, real, fair? Yes, we know this. Is there an appetite for Warriors coverage? Oh, my God, there is. Giants, A's, Raiders? Yes. Now, we don't need a million of them. It would be great. It would be great if we had a million. But if we can get a hearty percentage, demographically good percentage, uh, and they're paying directly, just straight up, they're just paying the money. It's not we have to get them back door through an advertisement or whatever. Right. That's the economic model. Now, people have compared this to the national. Probably young kids don't even know what that is. It's the big sports venture of the 80s. Uh, Frank DeFord, and it was hired a ton of great writers and had all these visions, and it was fun to read, and they did not have an economic model that worked. Well, what I tell people who ask me about the national and sales is that this is an economic model. That's what this is. It's not a vision. It's an economic model. Right. I'll take the economic model over the big vision. Now, they've got a vision, too, but when you have a system set up to where it only operates when people pay you, uh, that's a pretty good model, and I think people are ready for it. We'll see. But I do believe this is where journalism is going, and it should have been probably five years ago. It should have been 20 years ago because if you're giving away stuff for free, then people aren't – you're not going to be able to sustain it because you've got to pay people to do this stuff. You've got to pay people to travel. You've got to pay people to write this stuff. You've got to pay me, hopefully. You've got to pay Tim Bontem and <laughs> big, big money to big to Bontem. So. But uh, it's just it, – it, and the funny thing is some of the newspaper people, you know, a lot of them get it, no question. You, you just have to sit in one meeting. But we discussed the financing, the, the financials, and you are going to not be thrilled working in a newspaper. I hate to say, but it's true. But some, you know, like, oh my God, I'm going to buy a payroll. I, no, you know, that's fine. That's it. They, they, I understand that. But sources understand this 100% because they're not married to the newspaper. That's right. done. That, that, I must go to the newspaper or else it means nothing. They're just clicking on stuff. And they know what's good. And they know, okay, if it's good, I'll click on again. And if it, it costs five bucks a month, that's that's part of getting information. Right. Bob Byers and I happen to be discussing this kind of throughout the playoffs because I just it was on my mind and we we're talking. I was talking to the athletic, and he never. Like, of course, of course, that makes sense. Why wouldn't it make sense? Right. You know, if, if you're if you're good and if you're somebody people want to read, don't don't click 
quite some. I'm still buying some shoes. You know, we'll see if Bob buys one now. We'll see. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, now, you, now you've got him on the record. He's got to do it. <laughs> so, so, let's, so let me wrap up with this. So, you know, for if, if there, for somebody out there who is on the fence, you know, make the uh, make the sales pitch. Why why uh, why should they why should they sign up for for the athletic and, well, and, and all, all future stuff? The, fact, you know, uh, the uh, subscription will be live July 31st. The first copy will be August 1st next week. Marcus Thompson and myself, we have another writer that we will announce soon. Uh, we will have more writers that we will announce. We are going to give a unique perspective and the unique reporting, the unique relationships uh, that only Marcus and I and everyone else that we hire can bring. We will have a bunch of other writers, contributors that are that have already commissioned a bunch of, you know, the stuff the newspapers just don't do anymore, the analytical stuff, but not just that. What, what does this mean? On the trade deadline, we're going to have evaluations of all the prospects the A's and the Giants have acquired, presuming they do, which they're going to. Uh, by people who studied the farm system. We're, we're going to have analysis of exactly where the A's and Giants go from here. Again, newspapers have tried to do this. They don't really do this anymore. they got to get that paper out every day. they got a deadline. They need a game story. They need a notebook. We don't, we're not going to do the game story in the notebook. We're going to tell you why this is important. You look at the other athletic sites in the cities, and the best thing they do, and they do it great, is to look ahead. What does this mean? We're going to have a football scout evaluating practices in exhibition games. What happened? Why did this happen? Who's rising? Who's falling? Who's going to get cut? We're going to have my reporting on the 49ers, largely. How, how It's the in-depth stuff that we can deliver without being on a crazy deadline at the place, talking to the people with relationships, asking the questions uh, that you just can't fit in a newspaper anymore and the newspaper can't afford anymore. Uh, I love newspapers. I hope they last forever. I stayed as long as I possibly could and probably five years longer than I should have. It just it isn't the place where you can do this stuff. I just, I'm having these conversations with writers, and it's like these are stories that, that we can't even get in the paper. I can't have a conversation about it. Maybe I could do them, but we can't have six writers talking about these level of stories, and I'm having it with every single person I talk to. Phil Taylor, formerly Sports Illustrated, conversation about what do you want to do. How do we, what's the biggest picture thing we can do? There are some names I can't mention that we already got slotted in for day one, day two, day three stories. Famous for their deep dives into the personality of things, into the character of things. Um, you just don't see in newspapers anymore. Maybe you see it in some magazines here or there, but we all know the magazines aren't doing so well either. Right. Uh, but it's just the stuff that people care about and need to read. I can't imagine uh, that they will be disappointed by what we do. Danny LaRue, the best Warriors uh, salary cap guy, he's already doing what is July 2018 look like compared to the other contenders. That We're doing it. Do you read that in our paper? have not read that in our paper. Um, these are the things that I think that will make us different. We'll, we, we will be different. We will be deeper. We will be analytical. And in a way, and I can just tell you practically, in a way that I have not had a conversation at, at the Mercury News in my last five years. Maybe the last times we had these conversations when I was at the LA Times. I'll put it that way. Uh, and that was a long time ago. And I don't even know if they have them at the LA Times anymore. Uh, it, this is going to be, um, you're going to look at these stories, I will tell people, and say this is the smartest stuff I can read about the Bay Area, period. Uh, and if it's not, let me know. Send me an email, tim at theathletic.com. You can tell me you're, it's not smart enough. I'm pretty sure you'll think that it's the smartest thing you're going to see. Well, there you go. It's a good sales pitch. Um, uh, I try. I try. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for you and Marcus. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great venture, and uh, you know I, I I'm I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. I'm happy it worked out. So, 
Um, so best of luck with it, and thank you for uh, thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it, and yeah, and good luck. I guess you've got a, a few more days to get ready, and then you get started. So uh, best of luck. I'm excited to see what happens. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks again to Tim for the conversation. Really appreciate it. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Tim Kawakami. Uh, we probably should have gotten into his Twitter account. We didn't have time, but he's an entertaining follow to say the least. So you should definitely follow him. Uh, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Um, you can find my work in the pages of the Washington Post and on our website at WashingtonPost.com. Uh, please find the podcast uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else. They give us a five-star rating and review. It would really help us out. Um, we also have a million other great podcasts. Uh, seems like we have a new one every day. Um, Billy Cunningham's uh, Constitutional is out now, which is great. Um, can he do that about the, the current president and his, uh, his attempts to do things that are not expected? And uh, in some cases, you know, we're not sure if he's actually able to do it or not. Um, it's become a, a really entertaining listen. Uh, there's a bunch, of, a bunch of good stuff that we've got. Fantasy football is back. We've got a podcast for that. Um, a lot of good stuff. So, so go find all those and check them out. Um, you can follow, you can, uh, please subscribe to my newsletter, the Monday morning post up, which we're still doing through the month of August, even though, uh, the NBA season is beginning to wind down, hopefully, uh, at least for my sake. Um, you know, we're still going to have that, uh, to subscribe to that, go to wapo.st slash post up newsletter. That's wapo.st slash post up newsletter. Um, Thanks again to Tim for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Uh, please go find their music online. Check it out because they're great. Um, and with that, we'll be back again, uh, hopefully later this week. If not, definitely early next week. Got a couple of guests lined up. Should be good. So um, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon.